Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Dr. Wayne Wright, who's worked in some of the most celebrated corporate entities, as well as fast-growing, medium-sized businesses at senior and board levels. His experience is in the building of businesses from the bottom up with a clear understanding of the strategic elements essential in driving successful growth. With a science background, he is named on nine published patents. Wayne has investments in healthcare businesses in the UK and US, and for the last 20 years has led WSQ Solutions, a small boutique entrepreneur coaching organization that works with fast-growing businesses in accelerating growth and profitability. His corporate experience and serving of those high-growth businesses has created learning and principles that have been packaged into his new book, The Ten Commandments of Business Growth. And Wayne is active in the community where he currently owns Maidstone Warriors Basketball Club, the largest youth basketball club in Kent region, and celebrating 25 years as the club in 2023. A non-executive director at the Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells NHS Trust and through his involvement at the local church, The Vine. Great to have you on the Unified Brow podcast, Wayne. It'd be good to learn more about yourself and what you do. Well, I think you've said it all, <laughs> Chris, in that, that little introduction. I can finish now. We can finish the podcast now and let, let's go home, really. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a scientist by training and uh, just got involved in a whole load of stuff, really. Corporate background, but slightly over the last 20 years, more an entrepreneurial piece. And uh, I think, as I say to people, I think my raison d'etre, really, I mean, you've only got one life. But I think for me, it's about, you know, making a difference not only for this life, but for the next in the sense of, you know, what are you going to create that's going to be lasting legacy for the future? So I'm always interested in things and activities that impact people, generations, governments, whatever it is, you know, that is going to make a lasting difference. And uh, like I said, my small difference, I'm sure I'm not going to be, you know, notified or known here, there and everywhere, but the small part I can make, I can say, yeah, I made a difference there. I think this, that's where I stand, really, in terms of my values, my Christianity, my family, my whatever it is, you know, just want just a bit of difference to life, you know, make it a little bit better for people. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to say, with the science background, where did your love of business start? Where did that come from? We've been working in the corporate. So being a scientist, you tend to get involved in more research and development activities. But I think I've always had this penchant for that commercial bit. And it may come because of my dad. My dad was, the, you know, he had he owned a construction business, you know, um, a small one, but I mean, seven people. That's something that he did. So I suppose that uh, self-employment entrepreneurial streak is probably in me somewhere. But yeah, I mean, I was, you know, did the classic, you know, nine to five employee type activity for many, many years. And but within that, you know, got involved in other activities. So moved away from sort of research development, more into operations. And then you end up, you know, actually doing things in terms of business critical activities or running businesses. So, yeah, I moved, even though obviously that I'm still a, a great one for learning. And I'm, you don't lose your sort of science bent in that respect in terms of thinking. But uh, in relation to applying that, really, yeah, I've, I've turned that now into more commercial type skill set for running and growing businesses. How did the science background help you with regards to innovation and business? What do you think that has helped you with in terms of how you approach your own businesses, but also the businesses that you work upon for other people? Innovation is a big one for me. And obviously, you know, the patents are attest to that. But when you have an innovative product or process or whatever it is, and some people think of innovation as, you know, creating these patents, creating these new products and whatever it is. But it could be new services. It could be new ways of doing things. 
And uh, so little adjuncts on the side, you know, we've got AI, we've got blockchain, we've got some of these newer technologies coming up. You know, if you can apply those to your business, you know, then it could make a difference. And I think for me, this ha-ha moment was, wow, these ways of creating new products, new services, new doing ways of doing things, one, it catapults you into a market leader overnight. And all the businesses that I've been involved with have been market leaders. And I've seen how the power of innovation allows you to not only maintain that market leadership, but also creates a strong value proposition. And what I mean by that, you know, and it's the only management word I'm going to say today, the only management word I'm going to say on this podcast. But what I'm trying to say really is that what makes you different? What makes you unique? What makes you stand out from your competitors? Doesn't matter what sector you are in, you know, having a value proposition, which says that, you know, I don't have to sell my services on price. I can sell it on value. So I always say this to people, why, you know, what car do you drive? And people say, oh, well, I drive a BMW, Mercedes, this all the chest out, you know, type of thing, you know, wherever it is that, you know, look, I can afford a Mercedes, I can afford a BMW. And I also always say to them, well, why, why not a Kia? Why not a Hyundai? They've got better warranty, you know, and also they're 20 grand priced less. Why do you want to go for that? And they're sort of squirming their seeds but they've been sold the elements of aspiration, of value. So BMW have sold them a pup in terms of, <laughs> you know, this will make you look good, this will make you look cool, this will make you look like a, you know, a rich person, whatever it is. But when you buy into that, you bought into that value proposition. You haven't bought into the, the nuts and bolts of, in fact, that texture for made to be just as much as good as a scolder. But so by you creating that innovation piece, it allows you to be able to say, look, I have something that's different, that's unique. It has massive value to what you can do. It can provide these solutions that nobody else can provide. So therefore, it allows you to command a higher price in the marketplace than whatever it is. So hopefully that answers your question. But for me, that ha-ha moment around the power of innovation to really set your business up better than anybody else, absolutely. So all the businesses I've been involved with, we always had that ha-ha innovation piece that allows us to be market leader in that particular area. A really good analogy with the cars because a lot of the cars actually, they get their parts or they get developed from other places that do other cars. They have like a, a common pool of parts and that kind of thing. And the actual cars themselves, like you said, they differ in price, they differ in, in those points. And it's interesting, like you said, that the value, that what they get from it is that feeling of status, that feeling of being successful. And those things are the things that that brand is selling, is selling to that customer and delivering upon. And the thing is that whether or not that's warranted or not in terms of what that does, if it's making them feel in that way, it's kind of improving their life in a small way, in a way towards that. So it's interesting you said that because I think that's a really good point that it's about the value that you can provide and that you can create through experience, through the product, through the service, through, like you said, innovations, design and tech. So. From your perspective, when you work with businesses, what are some of the processes you go through early on to establish some of that or look into that or find those unique selling propositions? Oh, 100%. And it's a truism for anybody. doesn't matter how big you are as an organization, whether you're a solopreneur or you're you know, a Tesco $75 billion business, you always must be asking this particular question. And this is a question that sets our strategy sessions with our customers on. And we ask this question, why do you exist? 
what is the customer pain that you're solving? So those two questions are really fundamentally important because you've got to think sometimes, and I think a lot of the bigger companies, they get this hubris element where they think they're going to be there for another 25, 50, 100 years. We've always done it this way, and this is how we will continue to do it. And that hubris can sometimes leave customers behind. And the classic example is Blockbuster. I always love to use this um, little case study where um, we got this apocrypha meeting with Blockbuster and Netflix CEOs in a room. And Blockbuster were, what's this startup with a streaming service? And it was at a time when broadband was a bit clunky, you know, and uh, dial-up was still at the time in vogue and all the rest. But these guys felt that this was the future. This was going to happen wherever it is. And took the opportunity to say, look, if you buy us for $50 million, at the moment, all we're doing is selling CDs in the post, but eventually we're going to be online. That's where the future is. Blockbuster said, nah, laugh the people out the door. And look what happened, uh, you know, later on. Blockbuster hit the wall, went bust, Netflix, different story. So it just demonstrates really how, if you're not close to your customer, if you don't really understand what that pain point is with the customer, then you can sometimes lose your identity in terms of why you exist, why you were there in the first place. Why did people buy from you? And there's always an iteration. If you look at some sort of the retail space, branding, look at Saatchi and Saatchi as an organization, you know, the sort of classic big branding, losing the impact of understanding their customers are moving to social media. Uh, what do I do? You know, the big age old TV, radio, all that's gone. All that's eyeballs is now on TikTok, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Snapchat, whatever it is. So the point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't mean that you're dead in your own sector. It's just that mean that you're declining activity in terms of where your customers are, your demographics, what they're doing, because you're not staying close to them. You're not meeting their needs. You're not meeting the pain points that they have. So it's really super important that when we ask that question, is it's a bit more forensic. Yeah, it's a bit looking at navels and saying, okay, wow, do we have a business that's going to be able to be going for the next 10 to 20 years? Or basically, are we going to hit a wall in five years because of some new technology or some new entrance or some competitor who's coming to the market and just stealing all our funder? What is it? What do we need to do to ensure that, one, we stay close to our customers and understand the pain points that they have in real time? And that data-driven analysis that's the bit that we try and foster into that discussion as well. You know, how can you be so, so close to your customers that you can smell them, you know what they're wearing, you know what cap did they kick the other day, whatever it is, you know, you've got that real insight into the intelligence of your customers because if they change, you've got to change too. Yeah. When you were saying that about Blockbuster, it reminded me of a story of Kodak as well, where Kodak, apparently they were developing digital photography. They had the patents. Yeah. And they decided not to go with it and stick with the original kind of film-based photography. And then obviously the similar kind of thing happened. And it's really interesting because you're completely right. You need to be adaptable. I always say when we work with brands that the importance of branding, I think, especially from a strategic point of view and developing that USP and the positioning is that you're creating something that should be sustainable long-term. So if you've got to pivot, you've got to adapt. If you come back to that why we were talking about just a minute ago, if Blockbuster's why was something like to deliver movies something like deliver the newest films to people the quickest way possible. If that was a purpose of some kind, they would have shifted with that Netflix opportunity. Agreed. And if they'd have gone back to it, they could have adapted in that space. 
it comes back to that purpose. Sometimes it's pivoting, adapting, changing, I think, but you've got to stay true to yourself. And if you don't understand, I think people lose themselves, don't they, as they grow. That's the problem. They lose that identity. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that's where the hubris comes into play. Yeah. You know, you don't have that foresight to think ahead and say, okay, like in Kodak's case, and I talk about this as a case study as well, um, just like uh, Blockbuster, but the guys who are developing the digital and they got the patents around that, they had gone to the board several times, say, look, this is the future. We need investment. We appreciate it's going to be a massive shift in terms of how we do things. Manufacturing wise, all those, you know, magic cubes, Instagram <laughs> film, that's gone, absolutely gone. So you can appreciate the board of thinking, well, hold on, we make all our money on magic cubes. We make all our money on film. We make our money on developing and printing. All that residual income is gone. So what are we going to replace it with? So, you know, obviously clearly the guy didn't have the answer, but he said, look, this is what the future is going to be looking like. And as a result, you know, clearly, let's say they missed the boat, end up in chapter 11 and coming out of that, you know. But the point is, is that if you're not close to your customers, you don't see that. You're not clear about that. And you have somebody who may see it, but it doesn't have the full story and he's got nobody around to help and support. So as a business, you always have to be thinking ahead, you know, what am I doing today that is resonating with my clients? How am I being close to my customers? What are their changing issues that they're having on a daily basis? And am I able to meet and solve those issues? And if that is the case, then, and your brand, coming back to your brand, is able to articulate that, then you'll have a business and you're able to have some longevity in the future. Yeah. So what would you say is the thing that businesses struggle with the most at the moment? That why? And sometimes, you know, especially if um, businesses have been around for a little while, and I'm talking about myself, well, I'm quite short term, you know, five, 10 years. What got them really excited at the beginning, <laughs> they sort of lost their mojo, lost their direction. And what we try and do is energize that and say, look, you know, you've got a great business here. You know, it just needs a bit more, just focus, just narrowing. So you're doing everything to all things to all men. And you know, again, you're not able to really focus on the key customers. Because you're taking on customers that are unprofitable, you're taking on customers that don't fit into your values or culture or whatever it is. You know, you've got all this group of customers that you're not quite sure whether they the ones that you should be looking at or these are the ones that you should be focusing on. So we help people to pitch that purpose, sometimes reframing the vision, which helps to again reframe the brand um, because things change. And we should be able to have that opportunity to reframe our brand as time goes by should be because again you're meeting the needs of your customers you're falling in line what the customer needs are or the customers that you really feel that oh yeah we're really good at that area let's frame our, our business around that i think that's really good what you hit on there with regards to coming back to the audience i think people lose sight of that sometimes so they start off with the audience in mind they develop the brand as it grows and more people come in and kind of dilute that leadership team or add to the leadership team and you have these different perspectives. That was one of the reasons where the unified brand came from was working with people who had leadership teams where everybody's on a different page when it came to the brand. They're all different positions. And it was kind of trying to create that alignment. And I love the idea you said there about, you know, you can shift that vision because there's nothing more energizing than if you have a really good vision that you can almost see. Essentially, you can see in the future and you want to move towards it. What are some of the things that you do to help with the purpose and the vision side of things? And kind of, I like what you said there as well about getting rid of stuff on the sides. I think that's really important and focusing. So what are some of the stuff you do when you work with businesses to do that? 
Yeah, and, and a lot of it is that we create this sort of, you know, strategic plan for them, you know, and, and so we don't do it, you know, we get it out of them, you know, so we hang them upside down and shake them up and, you know, and then hopefully, you know, the right answer comes out at the bottom end. But no, no, in simple terms, we facilitate that thinking. We get them to look a bit broader and say, you know, look at the customer base that they have, especially, you know, as you you probably will, will attest to, that typically in most businesses, the top 20% of the customers are comprising most of the business revenue anyway, generally. So what's that 20% of your customers that you're working with? What are they like? And sometimes some of them are, you know, they're great, but they're a pain in the backside to, to work with. Okay, all right, then there may be a pain in the backside, but what can you do in terms of your processes and systems to ensure that they become, you know, sort of become like a favoured customer? But we look at that customer base and that top customers element, and we say, okay, from that... Is that where you see things going? You know, is that where your business is going to lie? And after that, they may say, well, okay, these are sort of over the years, we've now created five services. And before we had one, we've got five different products or five different services. Okay. Well, so let's, let's look at them, right? Of those 20% customers of those sectors that your size products or services that you're involved with, let's have a breakdown on where your effort and activity is. And more importantly, which ones are profitable or not? And then you seem to get a feel for, okay, wow, you got these two products or these two services, really the ones that are what you seem to have developed into, which you seem to be known for, which your brand, you know, is probably not even communicating, but you know, you're pretty good at it. So really, okay, what can we do now to focus on those areas to get more of those type of clients and to whatever it is? So, you know, you should create those strategies and tactics around identifying those key, more of those key clients that are going to be more profitable, focusing your business around that operationally, because clearly, you know, you may have a big admin team or back office team that is focused on a sector that is not profitable. So how do you focus on, let's get more of those big clients, including the sales team, operationally, back office, finance elements, you know, in terms of terms and conditions as well, you know, we get better profitability Let's get more profitable by upselling, by offering better terms, by better better settlement terms, whatever it is. So you're focusing now more on the areas that are going to drive profitability and growth rather than being all things to all men. Doesn't mean that you cut them off, but over time you'll cuff those areas. Just focus on those profitable elements because profit is is a key thing. You know, revenue is vanity, but I'd rather have less revenue, but more profit. So ultimately, and people don't really understand that most of the time, you know, you can get more profit by having less revenue. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is what you do. Are you struggling to grow your brand but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling? Or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four-minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today. Take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential. So where did the uh, inspiration for the book come from? And could you sort of give a brief introduction to the book? I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to check it out. Sure. Well, I've got a blue Peter one that I made the other day. There you go. Uh, <laughs> come on, it's a business growth. And yes, it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. And uh, I was sharing a lot with you the other day about doing the Audible version. So if you want to hear my sultry tones on Audible <laughs> um, with a duvet over my head, you know, in a, in a bit of a sort of a dressing room cupboard in my daughter's bedroom, then then you can listen to that as well. But now it was quite fun doing that. 
But no, um, that idea really came from, oh, I've had it for donkey's years. It was always an aspiration to do it. I had it before four years sitting in my end drive, you know, and, and probably 80% completed. And when COVID came, you know, we took the, tra- the opportunities to say all to our clients, okay, you need to stop. We'll navigate our way through helping you. So we gave them some principles of how to navigate COVID. And on the back of that discussion, which was great, because that basically put my business on stop. <laughs> we, we, we had sort of two or three months doing nothing really in simple. I mean, we were, we were keeping contact with our clients as one does. But ultimately, you know, there was no real tangible, invoiceable work because when we weren't seeing anybody and we weren't having any particular meeting, we didn't really develop the Zoom concept of coaching at the time. Most of it was face-to-face with our clients. So anyway, the bottom line is that, you know, I took the time to develop a few assets. I did an online course as well, which was based on the book. But yeah, finished the book and that was an experience in itself. But again, with the sort of gray hair and balding head, you know, you you, you accumulate quite a bit of uh, war stories. You get a chance. I mean, my clients are fantastic. So a lot of the book is really a test to them, really, in terms of their ability to come out of really difficult situations to really grow their businesses. And I appreciate we, you know, we've helped to facilitate that. So I want to take away the impact that we've had in the process. But yeah, what has been good is that over the last 20 odd years, you simulate principles that you see repeated time and time and time again in businesses of all sizes. And so what I just did was try and create like a simple manual, really. You know, I appreciate there's going to be more than 10 <laughs> commandments, but, you know, principles of growing your business. But I just wanted to pick out the creme de la creme, you know, what I felt were the real big ones that, you know, if you were able to focus on those areas effectively, they could make a demonstrable difference to the business. And does the online so the online course follows the book? Is it the same? Sort yeah, of- similar similar process. And I'll, again, I'll drop you a line on that as well. It's an online course for business leaders. Again, sort of video struck podcasting, so you can listen to it in the car, or you can sit on the video, you know, screen type of thing. But again, short snippet, fifteen minutes type, ten to fifteen minutes type sessions. So we'll pick a particular theme. And we have probably four or five lessons within that. A little bit of homework as well for people to go away and more importantly to apply in their business. I'm a great believer about application. So it's not a matter of yeah, just knowledge, knowledge for knowledge's sake. Now, how can you take this now? Not once you finish the course, take the information now that you've learned in the last 15 minutes and apply it to your business. And I think that's the key thing, really. Yeah, no, sounds awesome. I'll put the links to both in the show notes. What's something today that people could take away from a, a learning point of view that just some pointers or advice that you could give that maybe come from the book or the course that they could, like you said, apply today or, or start thinking about? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the big one that I've always, when I ask people these questions, they will tell me the sort of top three things that define the best businesses from others. And they are leadership. All the best companies have the best leaders. And it's something that you can develop. It's something that you can learn. There's some people innately have that capability, but at the same time, they still have to learn elements of leadership. And as you know, my LinkedIn, I talk a lot about leadership and the importance of leadership and the different attributes of leadership, which are really, really key to moving a business forward. But more importantly, it carries the brand and more importantly, it sets the tone for the organization culture wise and it sets the direction and pace 
in terms of getting things done. So leadership is certainly fundamentally important throughout the organization, not just with the CEO, with everybody who looks after people in the organization or is leading teams, let's say cross-functional teams, projects, whatever. You are by definition a leader if you're leading something or you're organizing something on uh, where you're having people around you to make things happen. Leadership is certainly important as a skill and a discipline that organizations should, should have. And the other two, as we've talked about already, is just customer focus, customer centricity, customer evangelism, whatever you want to call it, you know, but it's just that relentless focus from the vision, from what you do on a day basis, appraisals, goals, you know, attributes that you may assign to a particular task. Everything is aligned to customer excellence, delighting the customer and getting the best possible relationship with customers. I always say this to people, um, leaky buckets are a pain in the backside. They are hard to sort out. And too many companies have customers that are just leaking out of the bucket. And if you just put a stop on them, you know what? Your business not only grow, but you become more profitable. Yeah. Because when you screw up a relationship or you screw up a product or activity or you screw up a customer, the cost of cleaning it up is huge, huge, Chris. And I think, you know, many people don't appreciate that, you know, the impact on profitability by not having a great relationship with customers that comes into play. So looking after your customers, being really close, talked about this before at the very beginning, being data driven in terms of ensuring that your metrics are aligned to the customer excellence process. Very, very, very important. And the last bit is innovation, but that probably wraps around culture as well. So innovation, that hand-do attitude, that ability to say in your organization, we can break things, not break things for the sake of breaking it, but breaking it to make it better, to align more to the customers, to create more profit, to move the business forward as well. So. Those are the sort of three ones I really push quite heavily um, when I do a lot of work with clients. With your investment side of things, when you're looking to invest in something, what things do you look at in terms of whether or not to invest? And does the brand come into that? Or is it more to do with the, obviously the financials are a massive part of it, but what sort of areas do you look at when it comes to investment before you invest in something? Mainly the brand defines ultimately your purpose. So you've got to really be clear on the purpose and vision, what you're trying to achieve. I'm always looking for things that have massive impact. Yeah. That will be the market leader in their sector. That will be the disruptor of the status quo. So one of my healthcare businesses in the US, it's attacking a healthcare system that has been with entrance similar to the blockbuster type entrance. They big, bloated, non-accountable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're in that market, then clearly there's a whole host of political and strategic things that you got to do to get yourself in there. But the point I'm trying to make is that when you have those type of sectors, which are, you know, stayed, haven't changed for donkey's years, same old, same old, great opportunity to make a difference. And I think, you know, that's what I'm looking for as well. So purpose, impact, and obviously sustainability in terms of that aspect as well as well because you know you just you want something that is able to scale and able to move forward as well so scalability is a big one as well yeah market leader because obviously when he's market leader you can command bigger margins and therefore it makes you stand out a little bit more and and able to sell more effectively in the marketplace yeah yeah it's interesting when we do brand audits on a particular so we'll look at brand audits for our clients and we'll look at the sector or the industry they're in and it's amazing how many times you see that in industries where you have like um 
the players that the stayed players in that industry that are just so one they all follow each other which is interesting they kind of align to each other and then the other thing is that they haven't innovated for a long time they've coasted on this initial impact and development they put in a while ago and it's propelled them and kept them going for a bit but it's almost I always must think of it like a you're moving through the water at some point it's going to just slow down if you turn the engines off it's going to eventually going to stop and uh, it's interesting how many times we do audits and we see that in those industries is that something you come across absolutely 100% you know you get this sort of what i call cartel situation being created they don't want to rock the boat sometimes it can be a bit dodgy and we see that with the banks you know the clue with stuff whether it's interest rates or libor the libor or not kind of rubbish so when they want to keep the status quo because it seems a good thing don't disrupt it. Don't be a disruptive player. Don't come out, be a, you know, out what outliner. Just stay in the lane. Let's work together. Let's create up lobby groups that we can all fund, you know, for the local Senate or Congress or whatever it is. You know, it's that sort of, you know, malaise, hubris. It just keeps keeps everything nice and tight and whatever it is. Because this I want to ensure that I get paid in my pension as whatever and I'm whatever it is. I'm looked after for the web, blah, blah, blah. And really, you know, we've seen it so many times with companies, certainly the big corporates, you know, and I can give you another load of case stories around that. But the bottom line is that for me, yeah, I'm interested in making an impact, you know, on the lives of people and of customers and doing things differently. And and in this case, obviously, in the healthcare side, you know, costs are just atrocious. Drug costs are through the roof. People not getting the care that they need to get care to get well a whole host of inefficiencies within the process, you know, that uh, people screaming for change, but they don't know how to do it because these cartels don't want to change. Yeah, it's interesting. When we started off the conversation, obviously you mentioned uh, purpose and talking about impact and creating an impact. And it sounds like through everything you do, like you said, it's about creating that impact, that positive impact. So with that in mind, it'd be great to talk a little bit about the basketball team and your community work and and what's going on with that and how everything's going there. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, thank you. Um, a little passion on the side anyway. And that came principally because my son wanted to play basketball and we couldn't find anywhere in our local area down in Kent to do that. And fortunately, my wife had this little snippet in a paper. Oh, I wanted these people doing something. So there was a guy with six little kids around him, you know, learning to play basketball. So as one does as a parent, you know, you take him there. You oh, it's too far to go back home. Let me just stick around, whatever it is. But anyway, Fast forwarding about five or six years, this particular individual was uh, very much uh, a leading figure in, in one of the CID, sort of the Met Police in Scotland Yard, and uh, doing some weird, weird stuff, which I won't even go into anyway. But the bottom line is that he was never able to make the Saturday sessions that we used to have as training. So he said, well, Wayne, you know, can you help out? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really a coach, but I know about business. I know about branding. I can help, you know. So again, helped brand the business, create the proposition, create the you know, value proposition around, you know, what we were doing and, and what our value proposition that we have basketball for all. We want to create opportunities for everybody, every kid, anybody, wherever they are, how able you are to be able to play basketball. So a little bit different from the mainstream clubs that are more like, I would say football clubs, you know, a bit more competitive. You're in the team. If you're good enough, you're in the team. If you're not good enough, sorry, mate, out the door. We want to be inclusive in that respect to have everybody come along. And as a result, yeah, that, that little club is now, I took over a club nearly 20 odd years ago. And uh, that club has just grown to be the largest in Kent, probably the Southeast, but mainly in Kent. So we have kids from under 10s all the way up to under 18s. 
girls teams as well, teenage girls teams, a women's team which is just launching this year, two men's teams. And also we have opportunities if kids want to play more competitive, you know, in other words, elite type basketball, we have teams that allow them to do that as well. So creating this structure hasn't been easy. We've got probably an army of volunteers, about 40 or so people that work with me. I have a small executive team, which makes me look good and means I can travel a lot without, you know, the whole thing falling over. That succession planning piece, sustainability piece, super important. If I'm not there, and I know I'm not going to be not there eventually one day, but even so, if that happens, I know the structure of the organisation, the way it's set up, the way it's run as a business, not run as a sort of community charity group, it's just run as a business. We make surplus every year, and that allows us to be able to keep the organisation going for as long as it needs to. That's awesome. Oh, and it's the 25th year. It was 25th year anniversary as well. Oh, awesome. We celebrated that. That was so cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. I'm sorry about busting in, but you know, but I suppose I'm a bit passionate about this. But again, it comes back into what, what we do as businesses, you know? Because when you're around for a long period of time, you can see the impact. You can see the changes. And sometimes, you know, I always say this when I speak about, you know, charitable groups and all the rest. I said, you know, all this start and bust, you know, you always got this passion. Then you go for this funding and then the funding runs out and you have to stop. That's no good for anybody. Absolutely no good for anybody. And the same within business. You've created a, a fantastic brand business, which allows you to really change the narrative and change how people um, see businesses and how their businesses, how their customers see them in terms of the values that they have associated with the brand and the product and services. So when you see that, you see the difference it makes, but you're there for a long period of time. You see the impact. And I think as organizations, we need to be there for the long term. Too much, you know, start and bust, start and bust, you know. And I understand it. I understand it's really hard. 40% of businesses fail within the first year. 80% over three years. It's a big stats. <laughs> you know, it's a big, big stats. And hopefully, you know, some of the things that we do are helping to try and change that narrative and give people the keys to say, you can't be bust over one year. You know, you've got to be able to go for 5, 10, 20, 25 years at least to start seeing that major difference in impact into the lives of businesses or communities or whatever it is you do. It's interesting. You hear a lot of people talking about failing fast. And I agree with that to a point because obviously you want to find out what doesn't work and what does work. But I think sometimes the issue, and actually I'm looking to create something at the moment for this. The issue is sometimes people, they don't find out what the USP is effectively early on and they don't communicate it effectively enough yep. early on. So that they think it's failed when they haven't even given it the right... They're given a chance. Yeah. And they haven't reached the right audience and they haven't said it in the right way to actually resonate and cut through. And I think that is the whole thing, this mantra of failing fast, failing fast. People think they're looking for ways something won't work. And I agree with that's a good thing to do to find out where it won't work. But I think sometimes you need to make sure you give it a fair crack of the whip in the right way. And otherwise it's going to be like, yeah. And I'll give you a little total true to life now now story type thing in relation to my business so one of my healthcare businesses we've been working on this for just over four or five years and at that time the comments around agi or ai we were speaking to investors what's ai what's blockchain what what's whatever it is you know and it's like glazed looks over their mind and as you rightly point out we could have said okay hey the market 
just doesn't understand it, whatever it is, you know, it's not working, let's can it. But we knew the opportunity potential because we could see it. So what's happening now? Every Tom, Dick, and Harry wants to get their hands on AI businesses. Everybody knows about blockchain now. Before it's blockchain with cryptocurrency, but no, blockchain on its own. So, you know, ultimately, you know, it's that awareness, like you said, that awareness now people say, that ha-ha, okay, I can see where this thing takes it. Fortunately, we've got the patents now that was, you know, created five years ago, whatever it is. So we were ahead of the marketplace in relation to the whole thing of AGI because we saw it and we gave it time. We stumped up the money, which was not true. But ultimately, we're in a great position to capitalize on that now because nobody else can touch us. Nobody else. Hmm. But we, like you said, we stuck in there until the appropriate time. I was going to touch on the basketball thing as well. And something you said there reminded me because you're talking about, and again, it's that impact piece. And I think it's interesting because when I was a kid, I loved basketball and I used to um, used to love Chicago Bulls, Dennis Rodman. Come and join us. Come and join us. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan, <laughs> Scotty Pippen. I used to love that era of the Bulls when I was younger. There you go. There and, you go. Um, but there was nothing. There was nothing really for, especially in this country, but for kids to actually do that, especially down where I am, which is in, in Devon. I grew up in London, moved to Devon. So it's amazing to hear that you have those different tiers. And I think when we talked last time, you didn't you mention that you now have people yes. who had gone through yes. the all the all the ages and now come back with their kids, which that must be awesome to see that as like a, an impact. That's yeah. what I'm saying, because you're there for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, it impacts other generations going through. And it's, it's so heartwarming, you know, to see some of those kids now that we've trained become coaches, become parents, become moral citizens of society before there were the nothings. Well, the invisible kids, when they took up basketball, it became the kid because they were the only one that could play basketball. You know, so confidence went through the roof. Therefore, that confidence then impacts their studies, which impacts their future. Model citizens of one's a head teacher, another one's a, you know, paramedic, another one's a, oh, can go on. You know, these are moral people in our society making a difference to society, but we gave them the confidence as kids to be able to have something that they could be proud of, which fueled their future going forward. And like you said, they're now getting married, having kids and bringing their kids to the club as well. So it's, you've got to be in there for a long time to see that. And I'm just been blessed to be able to be around enough or long enough to be able to do that. And that, you know, we can't take life for granted, but I was been very, very fortunate for that. Yeah, that's awesome. That is really cool. I was going to ask, is there a business you've come across recently it can be a client or it can be someone that you've seen that's really impressed you with regards to their growth, their brand and their kind of business, kind of the model they're using. Everyone's different. It's quite funny, in fact, because sometimes people feel that branding has to be shouted all the time. And the reason I'm saying that is I've got one lovely company and they've been going for 20 odd years at least and um, manufacturing company. And when I got involved with them, there were about six million bumping around doing um, products for the pet food and the food industry and um, was able to help the session planning of the, go the guys there. Always tease him because I said that you should have retired earlier because the business is doing a lot better than when you were there. But that business has grown from six to 22 million and they've really consolidated brand. And it's not trumped all over the place, but they have a solid brand that everybody knows, high quality, delivery, customer centric, will go the extra mile all that type of stuff. And all the supply chain knows that. Their competitors know that and try and emulate them. Can't get close. Wow. So you've got those type of individual um, companies as well. 
One company I'll be working with as well, again, electrical contractors, but they've got a fantastic reputation for, again, excellence, delivery, making it happen, and now looking to embark to take that next stage and really getting the solar piece as well, doing a lot of work on the solar side. And again, having to tweak their brand to be able to reflect some of that stuff as well in those services. And I think, you know, like I said, there are emerging companies out there that are, you know, just got potential, but sometimes don't see it. They need somebody outside to come in and tell them that comes, you know, you can really do well here. And so that's what we try and do. We try and provide that energy and understanding to businesses to help them to see the potential. Because when you're beaten down for a long period of time, as everybody does, you know, you need that re-envisioning in relation to your business and what it can achieve and what it can go forward. But I totally agree, you know, the branding piece is a big part of that process. It's interesting when you said that, because I sometimes think, do you remember that the, the 80s and they did the kind of the horror films and they'd try and outdo each other? Yes. It'd be like the next one had to be worse than the one before and then it'd keep going. I sometimes feel that sometimes with people where they go wrong with branding. So what you're saying there about like, it's almost like they, people here, you got to stand out, you got to be different and that's important. That's crucial. But difference doesn't mean you have to be like full on bright neon colors. You know, it doesn't have to be as extreme as possible or, you know, just the completely, you see it sometimes with brand names where they just try and go to the extreme of just randomness. And it's just like, that's like the, yeah, 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 yeah. because they think it's standing out, which it is, but. That was, remember the company Orange? Remember the company Orange? Yeah. Orange Telecoms. They were one of the first that just, let's be different. This complete kit creating name that has no bearing at all to, to the business. I mean, it works, you know, because it was novel and different. But as you said, sometimes work, yeah. depending on what the sector you're in, you know, so. Definitely. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's exactly, it's standing out can sometimes be what your customers need and then what the competition isn't providing. And it's also being authentic to you and your unique voice and who you are. So I think, yeah. I think sometimes it doesn't always have to be to that extreme. There you go. People always think it's got to be the extreme. And that does work in some cases. And if you want to be a, like a rebel brand and really, really fully disrupt and you're coming in and that sometimes is really useful. But sometimes it's actually just being, you know, the most approachable, the most friendly, that kind of thing. It's what your audience needs. And I think people sometimes, yeah, get that wrong. Because they forget to talk to customers. They forget, to, you know, they, they embark on this, Yeah, you know, wonderful blah 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 you know and i appreciate it you know you have to be careful in terms of obviously you got to have something that is your aspiration shows your aspiration sometimes you have to lead customers the customers don't always have the solution that you need in terms of how you define your brand and the classic example is is, is elon musk and twitter you know and changing to the x and people say oh no i'm um, sort of linkedin something oh you know typically Elon Musk is screwed it up blah 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 but again it's in his case he wasn't looking to augment the Twitter brand. He's looking to take the business and create something different. He's creating an all-encompassing e-commerce marketplace where you can bank, you can purchase, you can do all sorts of things. And the Twitter part is a small part of that. So he's setting the scene with the X and saying to people, this is where I'm going. I'm not getting rid of Twitter. Twitter's still here, but this is where I'm going. You want to come with me on the journey. And sometimes we need to set that destination point regardless of whether customers are, you know, are well or not aware of it. That's bold. That's courageous. But at the same time, yeah, majority of us, us mortals, can <laughs> play the normal game because that's, that is where it's at and that's where it should be. Yeah, I did a post on that on LinkedIn about that, how um, I didn't think it was the best from a rebranding point of view. I didn't think it was handled as well as it could have been. I thought from a communications point of view, he didn't really articulate that vision in a way that would have... Yeah 
he could have then explained it better for everybody on that journey. Yeah. Which I think was the thing for me, I found really tricky with it. Cause I think with Tesla, he did a great job of, I think if you said to anybody on the planet, what's the vision of Tesla, even if they hadn't read the vision statement, which is something like to accelerate the world's change to sustainability is something like that as a vision statement they've got. But I think most people could give you an idea of what it was just by what the brand did and how they showed up. And I think in this, you kind of did it quickly. And I wonder whether timing played an issue in it for some reason. I can't work out what the timing is. I don't know whether... Well, he did announce it a year before. So it wasn't new, but I totally agree with you. I think he was probably forced into it a little bit earlier than he expected it to be. He probably, probably would have had enough time. Yeah. And it was a way of actually, you know, putting like two fingers into Fred's, you know, mantle, which worked. Because obviously, look at what, what, what Fred's are now. Fred's are, as a platform is completely dying, left, right and center, you know, just... So ultimately, it's worked. It's worked the treat. It's given more eyes on Twitter <laughs> rather than anything else. You know, it's off threads into what Twitter really does. You know, and little things like, you know, paying content creators and all that type of stuff. You know, again, just taking the rug out of the competitors, you know. So time will tell. I agree. But no, I think yeah, absolutely, if it was me, I would, would have done a bit more of a better communication piece. But he did say he was going to do that. But how many people knew that? Very few. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think, and how many people could explain where it's heading, I think is the thing. I think if it was, yeah, explained what was going on, I think it would have been a, a lot better. And I think he could have got a lot more excitement about it if he'd explained where it was going and, and did that vision piece, you know, like talked about, this is where I'm heading. I'm doing it for this reason. Cause it's kind of anti-establishment as well, sort of his stance on things. Yes. And if he'd have brought that into it, it would have been a for the people thing. You know, it would have been for the people. We're doing this because social media is broken. You could have led with something like that. Social media is broken, you know, and this is the future of social media. Bang, straight away, people are like, wow, what does that mean? And it's kind of... Yeah, I agree. It would have been cool. I think, it, yeah, it's just a shame he didn't, didn't get around to doing it. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> we digress around like a... Man, you should ask me. I would have given you an audience with Elon. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm not sure you'd have listened to be fair, but yeah, no, <laughs> would have been worth a chat. All valid points. All valid points. Yeah, so, cool. Well, um, yeah. it's been absolutely awesome having you on. I've really enjoyed it as I always do. And um, where can people find out more about you and what you do? And um, I'll put all the links in the show notes. But where can people find out more about you? Well, sign up on LinkedIn. As you know, I, I do a lot of daily content on there about business stuff, leadership, customer excellence, innovation you know, all that sort of good stuff. And um, so follow me on that, please hook up. Happy to um, to connect and engage. Obviously, there's a, an overview on the, the website, Solutions or wsqsolutions.com and YouTube channel up and live as well. So we've got some really interesting um, discussions with different uh, business players around different themes or whatever. So have a look at the YouTube channel as well. But uh, yeah, they're the main three platforms that we get involved with but at the same time please yeah at the same time if you want to learn more about you know growing your business the online course business growth strategy and execution that's live available get access to that and so reach out on that as well and of course the book on amazon on book form kindle and also on audible if you like listening to stuff so but no i really appreciate uh, the time chris and um, you know yeah, yeah it was good and thank you very much no worries no it was awesome and uh, yeah it'd be good to do a follow up and I'll put all the links in the show notes and uh, yeah just let's do it again absolutely 100% don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast and if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcasts that would be highly appreciated if you want to continue your brand development journey head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube there's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast 
brand building tips, deep dives, and more. So thank you for listening. And remember, keep those brands unified.